I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3, Post Media's Canadian Current Affairs podcast. On this week's episode, after a season of turmoil, the Ottawa Senators are embroiled in its most shocking scandal so far. The wife of Captain Eric Carlson has sought a protection order against the fiancé of star teammate Mike Hoffman, alleging a campaign of cyberbullying and harassment. We'll take a look at the allegations, the potential fallout for the team and the league, and the dark side of locker room culture. It's Thursday, June 14th. Melinda and Eric Carlson were expecting a son, what should have been a happy time for the couple. But starting last November, she was subjected to a bombardment of more than 1,000 negative comments and harassment. After Axel arrived stillborn in March, the comments didn't let up. Who was behind this harassment? In shocking news, the Carlsons allege it was a member of their own hockey family, the fiancé of teammate Mike Hoffman. Shamini Yogaretnam covers police and crime for the Ottawa Citizen and Son. So, Shamini, so what is it that Melinda and Eric Carlson are alleging here? So, Melinda and Eric are essentially alleging that um, over the course of several months, basically the bulk of the NHL season from November of last year to about uh, May, early May of this year, that uh, the fiance of Mike Hoffman, Monica Carrick, has essentially targeted both of them with a campaign of harassment. So that would include both um, uh, you know, verbally making threats against them, verbally wishing harm to their unborn baby, verbally wishing that somebody would take out Eric Carlson's legs to end his career, and bombarding them with a, with a slew of social media messages. Are these messages being done under her name or how are these being delivered to them? Melinda and Eric essentially believe that um, Monica was behind a series of accounts and was using kind of the anonymity of social media and creating these uh, these fake accounts in order to um, confront them online. Is there any common theme to some of these messages? Well, what we know is that when um, the Carlsons uh, unfortunately had to publicly announce that their son, Axel Michael, was stillborn, that uh, an Instagram post that Eric put up um, that had their their baby's footprints on it and this heartfelt message to the city of, of Ottawa and all of Sens fans that had been behind them expressing their love and support and for what they were going through, that at that time there was an online troll uh, who had posted a comment that went um, pretty viral immediately. The, the comment essentially accused Melinda Carlson of, of popping painkiller me- medication throughout the duration of her pregnancy. Uh, every day is, I believe, the the terminology that was used. And so as a result of that, I mean, it, it was almost instantaneous in, in terms of, you know, you have to kind of consider this is a, a public figure, a sports athlete who has a, um, a, a public Instagram account. And it, for him to have recognized um, a negative comment so quickly, within seven minutes, he was responding to this troll. So um, I think immediately that time frame should have set people on edge. So in in that quick amount of time, he not only um, you know blasted this person for for sinking to to the lowest of lows by using this kind of this public mourning of their son to to make these al- accusations against Melinda, but also kind of for the first time lifted the veil on on something that it, it appears that the Carlsons had been enduring for quite some time. So he said to this person at Sandy Dandy 45 that you have been 
making these accounts for months and have been harassing us for months and that this is just simply basically offside. So um, that was, I think, the very first time that people could, for the first time, realize that um, something isn't right here. Um, This is Eric Carlson, obviously a grieving father, but also this is him um, uh, publicly stating that, that they have been enduring something. So about a month ago, uh, in early May, they applied for a peace bond or a protection order against Monica Carrick. Um, is there a police investigation going on as well? There is an ongoing police investigation. That police investigation predates the um, the application for that peace bond. Um, so it was um, started in advance of that. Uh, it's being conducted by um, Ottawa Police General Assignment Investigators in Central Division. Um, And the allegations that they're basically investigating are um, those of criminal harassment. No charges have yet been laid. Um, It's an ongoing investigation. Um, And, you know, part of part of kind of unpacking some of this is is looking at why um, Melinda may have gone the route of a peace bond. Right. So um, knowing that there is an investigation, um, was this, uh, you know, an alternative to, to laying criminal charges? Mm -hmm. Was this, um, a supplement to waiting for those criminal charges to be laid? Was this a preemptive, um, kind of solution to, um, see if some of that alleged behavior were to stop? Um, there's, there's quite a few kind of motivations that we could be looking at. And, uh, unfortunately we're still in a position where we're, we're, we're trying to get some answers about that. Now, Mike Hoffman and his fiance uh, deny that they have any part of this campaign of harassment against uh, Melinda and Eric Carlson. They do deny it. They, I think Mike Hoffman's uh, exact words that there's a 150% chance that that he and his uh, fiance are not involved. So um, they are uh, very much denying their involvement. They, they are, however, um, in, in Hoffman's words, uh, conceding that the Carlsons have been enduring harassment. Um, they are just denying that it is occurring at either of their hands. On social media, uh, after the story broke, there were posts written by other wives of former Senators players who seem to give credence to what Melinda and Eric are alleging in your story. That I think for me was the wildest part of, of, um, you know, doing the reporting for the story and seeing kind of the backlash and how um, things were unfolding is that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, this was, um, this was something that clearly uh, the Carlsons did not want to go public with yeah. um, uh, just by virtue of how how much it was shrouded in secrecy and how, um, you know, they weren't trying to advertise that they were seeking this protection order. Mm-hmm. Um, but given that it was now public, you know, these are public court filings and um, certainly it's in the public interest to, to find out what's happening here, um, that other hockey wives, uh, other other women that had interacted not only with Melinda, but with also Monica Carrick, uh, not only coming to Melinda's defense, but um, really um, speaking to the allegations against Monica and and corroborating them in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, Codette LaBarbera was, was essentially saying that, um, you know, what, um, what Monica Carrick was doing um, really had, had, had had taken a, 
Code at LaBarbera was essentially saying that whatever Monica was allegedly doing was had really taken its toll on Melinda Carlson, right? Mm-hmm. So um, these are women who, um, you know, I, I think as a as a lay person, <laughs> as a reporter that doesn't really cover sports, you know, you, we see this kind of cult of hockey and we see this um, – uh, this sisterhood that exists among sports wives and girlfriends, right? So it does take a lot to kind of break ranks within that and to go public and and do something that could could harm not only your spouse but also the team for which they play, right? And, yeah. And it was interesting to see these women do that um, all in the name of of what they believe to be right. Now, was this uh, protection order or peace bond granted by the courts or served on Monica? So it hasn't been granted. Uh, the The process to get a private peace bond is is actually um, a bit a bit complicated. So what happened essentially is that Melinda has made an application to the court uh, to bring this peace bond. That application um, guarantees a court date. Mm-hmm. Um, a date was set in the future from when uh, the application was requested. And by that time, Monica Carrick had not been served with her summons to appear in court for that proceeding. So as a result, it was uh, kind of just struck off the list is the is the legal vernacular that's used. Um, so right now it, it continues to stay in the application phase because what Monica Carrick has um a legal right to is to present herself in court to hear the arguments in favor of um, why to hear the Carlson's arguments in favor of why this peace bond should be imposed and, and have the ability to, to, to contest that in some way. Mm-hmm. Once that hearing um, occurs, if it is ever to occur um, at that point, the justice would make a decision on whether they are going to impose a peace bond and what conditions they would impose as a result of that peace bond. So the Hoffman's uh, said um, earlier this week uh, that um they uh, ha- have no idea. They had no idea that this had even be- gotten to this level. They had no idea that this was even filed. Um, and so um, that's still in the application phase. But but clearly the um, the knowledge of the allegations is something that predates that. And um, they're, they're going to be dealing with the aftermath of that. Uh, that's a pretty wild story to be covering out there. Uh, Shamini, I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks so much. This is Dave Breckenridge, host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian Current Affairs podcast. The name represents Canada's 10 provinces and three territories, and each episode takes a deeper look at one of the biggest stories in the country. Our show is powered by the work of journalists and newsrooms across Canada, so be sure to support your local paper. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and more. So be sure to subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to hear what you think. You can get me on Twitter, Breckenridge, Y-E-G, or dbreckenridge at postmedia.com. In his June 13th column, Don Brennan, sports columnist for the Ottawa Citizen and Ottawa Sun, wastes no time getting to the heart of the matter. He writes, Just when it looked like the Senator's season from hell was mercifully over, things took an unbelievable turn for the worse. A million times worse. And don't look now, because the end is nowhere in sight. I have Don on the line from Ottawa. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Don. Good afternoon. What was your first thought when you heard about this? 
Well, I thought that it's unbelievable, really. When I first heard that such uh, accusations were being made, uh, very, very serious accusations, I thought it was uh, just a, a, a terrible thing, that it was worse than, you know, they've mentioned cyberbullying. To me, it's worse than cyberbullying. It's a real attack, and it's real serious. So I thought that, boy, I don't know how they're going to get themselves out of this one, but I think it's going to take a long time to to, um, to come to the conclusion of what actually happened and to have the matter settled. Now, it, it sounds like this flared up even before it, it got to a protection order being filed. In your column, you talk about this flaring up between Carlson and Hoffman a few weeks back when the captain confronted his teammate in the parking lot. Yeah, from what I uh, was told, there was a confrontation when the season ended and they spoke face-to-face. It wasn't of, of a violent nature. It was um, more of a conversation in which uh, we can, I would think, safely assume uh, Eric Carlson made some accusations to Mike Hoffman about his fiance Monica Carrick, at that time uh, and you know, wanted to know what was going on, what, why this is happening, why and how can it be stopped. And I think that from what I've been led to believe, um, Mike Hoffman denied everything. I talked to, to Mike yesterday. We didn't get into the confrontation in the parking lot, but we talked um, about the situation as a whole. And uh, he said, you know, it's, it's just not true. It's, it's, it's not us. It's not Monica. It's, uh, we're willing to do whatever we can to help them find out who it is because we understand the importance of cyberbullying and it's simply, it's not us. So it, I think that that's where we're left at. We have the Carlson's obviously very sure that it is Monica Carrick responsible for these derogatory marks and really disgusting comments. And we have Mike Hoffman and in turn his fiance um, saying it wasn't them. So you're, the headline for your column is senators will suffer greatly until the truth comes out in the Carlson Hoffman story. But it seems like they're already suffering quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's a situation where this is a rebuilding team and they're, they had uh, moves that were planned. And one of the moves, they wanted to trade Mike Hoffman before the entry draft next weekend in Dallas. Um, they thought that, you know, the, if their hockey reasons would be that Mike is a one-dimensional player, albeit a very strong dimension. Uh, he's a he's in a very good offensive player, a good goal scorer, and, and has a lot of speed. But that he doesn't bring a lot of uh, other things to the table. He doesn't play a style that leads to success in the playoffs. And, um, you know, he's also making over $5 million a year with two more years left on his deal. And that's just too much for a team that's rebuilding. I think that that was their hockey reasons line of thinking. Um, Now, with this thrown into the mix and this them being aware that this was happening and could have been a motive, and I strongly suspect it was a motive for wanting to trade him, that I I don't know how any team is going to want to take on um, Mike Hoffman. Because with Mike Hoffman comes his his fiance. This is not to say that she's guilty, but right now we don't know who's telling the truth. We know that it's either Monica Carrick, Mike Hoffman's fiance, or Melinda Carlson. And if it's not Melinda Carlson, then she's going to be, I think, uh, in, in a little bit of trouble for defamation of character. But also it leads to the 
the situation where Eric Carlson is um, potential trade chip for the Senators in the uh, summer. And I don't know that anybody, if Melinda is is inaccurate in her accusations, I don't know if that doesn't limit the teams that would be interested in bringing Eric into the fold. I think it's teams are very careful about their family environment that they have, and they they don't want to disrupt it. And uh, there, there's potential either in both cases for that happening. So you have a situation where there it's potentially a bad relationship between two teammates where the senators could look to want to trade both of them, but they may not be able to, so they could be stuck with each other? I, I can't imagine there's a scenario where they'll be on the same team next year. I, I can't, you know, I mean, okay. as difficult it is, as it could be to trade a Mike Hoffman now until this thing gets settled, and maybe even afterwards, um, somebody will take a chance on him. The, the, the return on a Mike Hoffman may uh, decrease. It may not be as, you know, uh, he may not be as attractive as a, a commodity as as he was when you know he was simply a goal scorer and without this outside stuff. So, but I think that at some point he will be traded. I can't imagine that Mike Hoffman's going to play another game for the Ottawa Senators. And and again, I'd be I'd be surprised if Eric Carlson, more for contract reasons, will play another game uh, as well. Yeah. So you know, building a hockey team is is not unlike building a team in other businesses. You hope that people are going to gel and get along, but it's not always the case. And you add into the mix family or, or partners or girlfriends or wives who in a lot of cases are moving to an unfamiliar city. And they kind of, in a lot of cities, they look to each other for support, but that's not always the case either. either. But I don't, I imagine you haven't seen anything like this in your time covering hockey. I've not heard of anything like this in, in my time, you know, observing what happens in the world of sports. And um, I think that uh, you're right. I think that, you know, they, they refer to their families uh, as, as a village. You know, it's the, the wives hang out together. They go to games together. When the husbands are out of town on a road trip, they hang out together. A lot of times they're coming, you know, from different cities. They, they have no, you know, ready-made friends in Ottawa. They... they Gel. They are teammates in a sense. Wives are. So if there's a rift between the um, wives, I, I I can't imagine that it doesn't take it takes a long time to uh, turn into a rift with players as well. I think that you know if if you're angry with with one of the wives and you're telling your husband the player about it, you know you expect him to be on your side, no matter if he thinks it's you know foolish or or whatever the case may be he's going to side with you so that that's going to cause a big division i think in in a in a family in the village but also in the dressing room because the players you know i'm thinking that half the room and this is probably not even an exact split but part of the room is on eric carlson's side and and is believing everything that melinda carlson is saying to be true and there's part of the room, Mike Hoffman's friends, that are on his side and, and saying, how could this possibly be uh, be landing at Monica's feed? That this is not her. So I think that as we have it right now, when you're talking about two star players on a team especially, I think that there's there's definitely a split. And I think that uh, it's being felt. And I think that I think that it was felt throughout the season. And, you know, we're thinking about trying to come up with different reasons how the Senators could fall from being one goal shy of a Stanley Cup final berth to being in 30th place in, in you know, 
12 months or 11 months or 10 months or whatever it was. How could that possibly be happening? Well, this could explain a lot. This, you know, if, if people knew about this, there was a rift. And I think that that would have been very disruptive. But this isn't the only public spot of trouble the senators have encountered in the last year, right? You know, there's been a handful of uh, controversies, I guess would be the good word to use. I'm just wondering if you can talk about some of that. Oh, for sure. I mean, to me, it began in, in uh, on July the 1st last year when uh, everybody was uh, anticipating some news about free agent, the start of free agency with the senators. And uh, the, the biggest news that came out of it was that Daniel Alfredson was uh, deciding to walk away from the team for a second time in a row. And, you know, Daniel Alfredson in Ottawa, well, it's he's as big as you get in Ottawa. He's, he's uh, an icon here. And uh, he was being groomed for a position in management. And people were, were glad to have him back after he had left as a player for one year to be with the Detroit Red Wings. And when he up and left for and for reasons that still weren't satisfact, satisfactorily explained, I think that that was the start of something, you know, raise some eyebrows, what's going on here? Why? Why is he? Well, there was a, you know, he had a, he had a problem with the owner the last time he was here, when he left the last time. So people suspect, put two and two together, that there was a problem again. And he didn't like the way the direction was going. He didn't like the way Eugene Melnick was doing things. And from there, it just, you know, it... it, it Cannonballed. I mean, there was the the fall in the standings. There was the trading of Kyle Turris, who was a popular figure. There was, uh, you know, the owner stepping up on the eve of the outdoor game here in, at Parliament Hill, saying, uh, not so subtly, that he was going to look at relocating the team if attendance didn't improve. And that didn't sit well. That doesn't sit well with fans. And it had the fallout that you would expect. Um, you know, they had they hired a, a Tom, Tom Anselmi to come in from Toronto, former with formerly with Maple Leafs Entertainment. Did a had a very good reputation. He came in here to be the CEO and the uh, the president of the team and to oversee the uh, development of the new arena downtown. And less than a year after he was hired, he left the team for reasons that were never explained. So when he's gone, Eugene Melnick decides to step in and be the CEO and the president himself. That wasn't a very popular decision. Everybody thought he was over his head as an owner, and now he's taking on these added roles. And, and, and the signs started popping up in Ottawa, the billboards, the hashtag Melnick out. Fans wanted to change with the ownership, but Melnick is refu refusing to go anywhere, refusing to sell the team. He likes being an NHL owner, and he doesn't want to leave. So it's, it's just a real, uh, a real mess in, in terms of the relationship between the ownership and the fans. And, and, you know, and there's it continues, it continues. And there's, you know, the fact that Eric Carlson is likely not going to resign here. That's angered a lot of people. This once in a lifetime player comes to Ottawa. And now it yeah. appears that centers are not going to pay him what he, what the market value is for a guy like him. And so they're going to have to get rid of him. Fans are livid about that. There's, it's just one thing after the other. And the assistant general manager gets in trouble last week with the law in Buffalo at the scouting combine, charges of harassment. Um, it's, it's, wow. it's really become quite a soap opera. That's, that's pretty crazy stuff going on out there. Um, now, you know, there's the draft coming up. We have free agency day coming up. What could Senators fans and I guess hockey watchers across the country expect to see over the next two to four weeks? Well, again, I think the priority uh, has has become, or a priority has become to make a trade to, to, to fix this dressing room to get rid of a Mike Hoffman. Um, 
guilty or not, this is this is what they've decided to do. I think you can expect to see that if they can find a taker for him. I think the Senators are going to hang on to their their first uh, round pick, their fourth overall pick in the draft, and I, you know, they, they need help in a number of areas, but. I mean, speculating, I think a guy like Brady Kachuk, if he is available, that's a guy that would really fit what they need. But they do need offense. They were um, 25th in goal scoring uh, last season, and they need help there, especially if they're going to be losing Mike Hoffman, their leading goal scorer over the last four years, and if they're going to be losing Eric Carlson, who has led the team in scoring for five seasons. So they're going to need some offense. I think that that's one area that they're going to be, the centers will be focused on. In terms of free agency, I don't know. Um, I think that they have a plan. They have a rebuilding plan. So they're not going to be going out and chasing uh, any of the high-profile free agents. I can't imagine that they're going to be of any in- have any interest in a John Carlson, for instance. Um, they are going to develop the, the, the guys that they have. They have a Thomas Shabbat on the blue line who they think can be a, a very good player. Um, they won't come out and say the next Eric Carlson, and I think that's unfair to put on him. But he's going to be a similar style and a uh, offensive generator, um, a, a good puck mover. I think that they've got some uh, kids coming up through the system like uh, Logan Brown and a Colin Wilson, guys that they think are getting close to being ready at the NHL level. I think what the Senators are going to do, though, is just maybe fill some small of, of the smaller holes and let the kids develop, maybe promote a few more. And they're going to have a very young team because they've had an old team, and they are going to stick with a, a plan of rebuilding. And uh, they, they had mentioned it at the end of last season, that it's going to be three to five years before they are are, uh, ready to contend. And that could be ambitious, but they they aren't going to be uh, getting better anytime real soon. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time, Don. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Here's what else is happening this week. Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland was in Washington on Wednesday to defend our opposition to the Trump administration's tariffs on steel and aluminum. Freeland met with the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and she's the first Canadian politician to set foot in the U.S. Capitol since the president's broadside on the Canadian Prime Minister following the G7 meeting in Quebec. And a united bid from Canada, the U.S., and Mexico was successful in landing the 2026 FIFA World Cup. The announcement came on the eve of this year's World Cup in Russia. Toronto, Montreal and Edmonton are the three Canadian cities among the 23 candidate cities vying to host games. A total of 16 cities will get the chance to host matches on soccer's largest stage. This episode was produced by Carson Jarama, Carrie-Anne Sprawl and Nathan Martin. Special thanks to Shamini Yogaretnam and Don Brennan. I'm Dave Breckenridge.